0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. We're sort of in an interim between series. We just closed the first big chunk of Hebrews last week, and we're rolling into our summer series on on tough questions, and we'll come back to Hebrews probably in the new school year. But I think that from time to time, it's important for us to capture and recapture a view of who God is. Now imagine with me for a few minutes that you are on a hike. In fact, let's pretend that we're throwing you back in time so that there's not a whole lot that you really know about human craftsmanship. And you are walking through the woods, listening to the birds, smelling the air, enjoying your hike, and you come up on something you have never seen before. We would identify it as a pocket watch. And the strange, shiny thing is on the ground. You pick it up, and you open it, and you see the hands moving, one hand moving faster than the other. Maybe it has a second hand, so there's one hand moving much faster than the other two. And it's curious and strange, and so you, you crack it open, and you begin to study the inside, and it's full of gears and mechanisms And the longer you study it, the more you realize that everything is connected to everything else perfectly, beautifully. That if you were to break a tooth off just one gear, if you were to remove a cog or slide a gear off of a shaft, pull out a spring, the whole thing would stop working. It is a masterpiece of invention. And you would have to even even the most ignorant of us would look at this and look around at the rocks and the trees and the squirrels and say to yourself, this has a design. And it has purpose. All the little gears and cogs and springs all add up to a purpose. And if there is a purpose and there is a design, then it did not happen by accident. It didn't grow and fall off a tree. It, it didn't come out of the ground like a root or a chunk of, of ore. There had to be a designer. And when we look around creation, when we, we zoom out and we get a 3,000 foot view, it is apparent to see that all of creation works together beautifully. That all of creation is culminating to a purpose. That there is design. That there must be a designer. And we're going to study the designer for just a few minutes tonight. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we're only even going to read the first words. In the beginning, God but I need your help with this. Because sometimes we get God with a little g, but we're going to put it with a capital G, a capital O, and a capital D, and we're all going to do it together. This isn't just God. This is God. Say it with me. God. No, one more time, because I missed this whole side over here. We are speaking about the almighty creator of all that is. We are speaking about God. That's right. The God of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've heard it said that there must be time, space, and matter simultaneously. That you can't have any one or two without the third. That if you had matter, where would you put it without space? When would you put it without time? You have to have all three of these things working together Then within space and time and matter, there is force, something that is moving, something that is causing. And right here we have all of these together. In the when? The beginning. What is the force? God. What happened? He created. In where? Space. The heavens. And what did he create? Earth. All wrapped up in the very first verse of our Bible. I've heard it said that if you can't believe the first verse of the Bible, you can't believe any of it. But if you can believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, then everything else is easy. God divides the Red Sea? Easy. He's the creator. God turns the sun backwards, meaning he stops the earth and re-rotates it without everything flying off for Joshua and Hezekiah, not that big of a deal. He's God. A man says that he can resurrect himself from the grave after being crucified. We can believe it if we can wrap our minds around verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When did it happen? At the beginning. The word here means the state of beginningness. So think back as far as you can. Then think further. Think into ancestry. Think into thousands of years. Think into eons. Whenever there was a beginning, at the state of beginningness, there already was God. There's a wonderful author named A.W. Pink. Pay attention, because I don't have it on the screen tonight. He says this, If there was a time, if time, it could be called, when God, in the unity of his nature, dwelt all alone. In the beginning, God. There was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels to hymn his praises. No universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one but God. And that, not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. During eternity past, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, and in need of nothing. We're going to look at God from this verse in three ways to begin with. First is that God is eternal. Before there was time, space, and matter, there already was God. We talk about cause and effect, but every effect has a cause, but that cause is an effect of another cause, working backwards to what point? There has to be at some point an unmoved mover, an uncaused causer. We're speaking of God. Revelation 4, 8, the angels are crying out day and night saying, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. God, who created space, time, and matter, is not bound within space, time, and matter. He is outside of it, transcendent. He is not bound. He is not stuck in time the way we are, adapted to time the way we are. He was and is and is to come. Psalm 93.2 says, Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting, which means that God always was. He is et- as eternal in that direction on the timeline as he is eternal in that direction on the timeline. And if your mind hurts because of that, it's because, like me, you're a slave to time and we've never known anything else but you are from everlasting. Psalm 90, verse two through four says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight (laughs) are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. Because God is outside of time. What is a thousand years to a God outside of space, time, and matter? God is eternal. Second, God is self-sufficient. The fancy word for this is that he has a saiety. He is independent. He's not affected by anything that happens within creation. Nothing affects him. He is outside of all of it. And he is affecting it. He is self sufficient. Where does power, energy come from? It comes from God. Where does he derive energy, power, and life from? Nowhere. He is life and energy. Everything comes from him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. God is self-sufficient and all life comes from him. To be cut off from God is to be cut off from, you with me? If God holds all life within himself, if he is the author and the, the source of all life and we are cut off from life, we are cut off, there is nothing left but, you with me? Acts seventeen twenty eight says, in him we live and move And have our being. To have him is to have life. To be without him is to be without life. And this is what salvation is to have, to know the God of life. His very name speaks to this. In Exodus chapter 3, go read it later, it's beautiful. God gives his divine name to Moses. Moses says, What is your name? What do we call you? And God gives his name, Yahweh. I am that I am. All that I am, that's who I am. So go back 100 years and God is I am. Go back 1,000 years and he is I am. Go back an eon and an eternity and he is already I am. And go that way and do the same. He always was. He is and he always will be. And the great I am is the source of all things. And third, as the creator of all things, as the one who gives power and life to all things, God is sovereign. He has the right to rule and control all things. Psalm one fifteen three says, "Our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases." Isaiah forty six nine through eleven says, "I am God; there is none like Me." As in God, go like this. He can look left and look right. There's no one up there with him. He is absolutely alone. There's no room. If God is infinite, there is no room for a second. All the idols and all the deities of every other faith, there's no room for them in a universe of an infinite God who is infinite even beyond the universe itself. There is only God, I am God, there is none like me, declaring, what's he doing? He is declaring the end from the beginning. He has already written it all. From ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand. I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Human history in God's mind is done and written, because he doesn't just see what will happen. God does what will happen. Daniel 4, verse 34 to 35, this is actually written by the most powerful living man on earth, Nebuchadnezzar, over Babylon, and Babylon is the supreme world power. He can do anything he wants. He can conquer anybody he wants. And God humbled him through a great story you need to go read in the book of Daniel. And whenever he is humbled by God, these are the words that he declares. Speaking of God, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. (laughs) This is the guy that rules everything, and he's saying God's is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing compared to God. And he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stop his hand or say to him, what have you done? And God is sovereign in the lives of people. Proverbs 16, nine says, the heart of man plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, many are the plans In the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Meaning, our will is not God's highest priority. God's will is his highest priority. And yet, this God, transcendent outside of time, creator of all things, loves us. And he uses his authority to bless his kids. Romans 8:28 Listen to the sovereignty of God in this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together, all things that omits everything else or encompasses everything else. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this God, eternal self-sufficient, independent, and sovereign took action. In the beginning, God created. Doesn't the painter have sovereignty over the canvas? The author over the novel? Psalms and Isaiah speak of God being a potter over clay and all humanity is the clay. And the clay can't cry out to God and say, I don't like the way you made me. I'm not really digging how you're shaping things. This is God whose love he has on us, and it is the God who created. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of Yahweh the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. John 1, 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Isaiah 45, 7-9, through God is speaking, and he says, I form light and create darkness. Think about that one for a little bit. I make well-being, and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them to both sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who argues with the God who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Or your work isn't good enough. A.W. Pink again says this, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside of himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure, for he works all things after the counsel of his will that he did create was simply for his glory. So if God is the creator of all things, if God is the ruler of all things, it has two implications that we need to consider tonight. The first implication is that he has expectations of his creation to follow. Just like Any other leader, king, president, teacher, parent has expectations. How much more does the God of the universe have expectations? And how dangerous is it for us to be out of alignment with that God? To do anything but to follow and obey is to defy the highest rule of the universal law. Nothing escapes his notice. No action, no word, not even the heart, our thoughts of our hearts escape his notice. And to be in rejection to God's order, to God's law and his commandments is called sin. And it, he considers it high treason with the punishment of death. To reject God, think with me, is to be rejected by God and to be cut off from life is, you just told me, nothing left but death. And this is where we find ourselves. Romans 3 11 through 18. Let's look at this one together. If you're in Genesis, go way to the back, the last quarter of the Bible. Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 11. We've taken a look at who God is. Let's take a glance just for a minute at who we are. Because a high view of God has side effects. And the side effect is that we have a recognition that we don't live up to that God's expectations, that God's holiness, that God's righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. None is righteous. That means in right standing with that God. Righteous, in right standing with God, in alignment with God's will and character. None is in alignment with God's will and character. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, of snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. (sighs) To recognize a high view of God is to recognize that we don't come close to living according to his law. His character, his expectations. But scripture also reveals something else about our God. It reveals that the God who wrote history, who knew our sin, loved us so that before history began, he had in place a plan of salvation. 1 Peter 1 18 through 21. God is speaking to us and he says, you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was, listen to this, foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Since before God established the world, God had already intended out of love to send his son to die for us as a ransom of his own blood for our sin. That is our eternal sovereign God who is also loving, who works all things together for the good of those who love him. Acts 2.22-24, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves know, listen to this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God knew, God sent, God intended Jesus would be crucified for the sake of those he loved. Because God is outside of time. God knew, God wrote all things and he saw you and I and loved us. Yet while we were still sinners, he loved us. Before we knew him, he loved us. Who is this God? When God planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he had already made a commitment To die. The God of life, created with an unalterable plan, a mission to save. All he has created comes with an expectation that we won't live up to and haven't lived up to. And all God has created is moving towards a definite plan for the sake of saving all those. Who put their faith in him? So, first, God has expectations for his creation. Second, all that he has created, just like that pocket watch, has a purpose. And with every minute going by, all of creation is hurling towards that purpose. What is the purpose of God's creation? Isaiah 43, 6-7, God is talking about gathering his people together, and he says, I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons and daughters from afar, from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Colossians 1.16, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians 8.6, There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So from him, he is the source of all things. Through him, he is the means of all things. And to him, he is the purpose of all things. He's created all things for his glory. Why? did God create a universe of stars we will never reach so that we would look up in awe, so that we would spend the rest of human history studying the universe, never reaching the end, so that we would stand in complete dumbfoundedness at the God who would speak it into existence. It would seem like the universe is as vast going into the micro as it is going into the macro. When you study the human body and DNA down to the cellular level, it's fascinating to imagine a God who took something infinitely more intricate than a pocket watch formed it out of clay and breathed life into it and created life is to make a stand, jaw hanging, looking at His majesty. It doesn't happen by accident. Where are we? When it comes to falling in line with the purpose that we are created for, If you're still in the New Testament, in Romans, go left just a little bit to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Maybe you'll read this in a new lighting tonight. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. If the pocket watch has purpose, how much more God's creation? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus is speaking and he says this, you are the light of the world. Think about that. This verse assumes a world of darkness. Think about the night sky, all the stars up there, millions and billions of stars and galaxies existing for one purpose so that you and I, a speck way over on the unfashionable arm of the galaxy, that's a speck in the greater side of the universe, can see their light, and they have one purpose. They're just glowing to be a beacon to who created them. You are the light of the world. You exist to glow as a beacon for the one who created you. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So what's happening, being the light of the world? I love the story of when we went into the caves on our camp a handful of years ago, and we turned off all the lights. Something happens when all the lights are out. Your eyes strain to see something. You can feel your pupils hurting because we're in the one of two places on the planet where there is no light whatsoever, the bottom of the ocean and in the caves. When that first light comes on, we can respond to it in one of two ways. We can see it, and we can see what it reveals And we can stop bumping into things. Or when that light comes on, we can hate it because it hurts. Jesus came as a light to the world. And people will respond in one of two ways. They will see the light and see what it reveals. And it's ugly. It's a sinful existence apart from him. And our world is broken and seems hopeless. And it either calls us to say, God, I don't know where to go to get rid of this filth. I have nowhere but to you, the God of life, to turn. Or it hurts and we hate what we see, so we reject it. There's only two reactions. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do you put a lamp under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. And so people are going to respond to your glowing for God in those two ways. Wow, who is this God that you serve? Or, I don't want any of it. You are the light of the world. In the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven, it all comes back to God's glory. God's very salvation plan for you is a means to an end for his glory. So that we would look at the cross and we would see perfect holiness, perfect justice, perfect love, and we would know God for who he is. All for his glory. That is what we live for. That is our purpose. None of us live up to that standard. All those who are called by him and have surrendered their lives in faith to Christ are growing in that standard, becoming more like Jesus every day. Thank God for Jesus who died on the cross so that God sees us as the perfect righteousness as his son. That's justification at the cross. Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin. He saved us from sin's power in our lives, no longer controls us, no longer slaves to sin, We are now servants of that God. And he takes a servant and he makes us a son and daughter. And we are growing in, the fancy word is sanctification. He is making us more and more like his son every day. He is polishing us to be brighter and brighter lights every day. My prayer for you and I is that we would surrender to that God more tonight. Maybe for the very first time. That you would surrender to that God of the universe that you would come into alignment with his plan and purpose for his glory. And if you have given your lives to Jesus in here tonight, that you would surrender yourself, that he would sanctify you a little bit more. Where is it tonight that you've been holding back? Every time the Bible says the word Lord, it means master. We just overlook it like a title, but it's supposed to be a surrender, a submission to the king of the universe. What is it that we're holding back? What is in your life that you're like, I want to give everything to you, Lord, except, you know, this part over here. This is mine. What is that? Because when we understand who our God is, we realize that this over here is already his anyway. We're just trying to steal it. All the glory and fame, reputation that we're trying to make for ourselves, that, that's his that we're trying to take. Money, our bodies, Whatever it is, I want this for me. And God's like, that's already mine. You're just trying to take it. What is it that you haven't surrendered? And surrender it to Him? And my prayer is that there is one or two in here tonight, that that means your whole self for the first time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these incredible students, these men and women of God, men and women of integrity, Lord, may we have a high view of who you are. May we have a high view of the cross. Lord, whisper to our hearts the depth and width and height of what you did on Calvary for us. That you, perfect holiness, died for sinful sinners so that you could Remove our sin and stand in our place and represent us to the Father so that we are represented by you. And you no longer see the wretches that we were before, but you see the holiness of your Son. And we can rest in that. Lord, I pray that you would work through the power of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness in us and through us to make us more like you every day, to come more into alignment with you every day. Help us to surrender those things we're holding on to. Help me surrender. Father, forgive me of my sin. Lord, wash us clean. From the second we were born to the second right now, wash us clean. And work in us to chase righteousness and reject what is evil. We love you, Father, and we thank you, Jesus. All these things we pray in your name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.